And I share this with you. Um, one, I just feel like it's, you know, the first step to recovery. Um, but two, I, I want you to know that it didn't always start like this. I was thinking back to how it actually started. And it started in all places. Sam's Club. One, two, three. You ever clap and it sounds like your hands are small? <laughs> I've never I've never publicly told anybody what I'm about to say. And so it is it is a confession of sorts. This thing that I'm about to tell you I I do in secret. When I have free time, it's always what I spend my time doing. When I'm, when I'm with my family, I'm thinking about when is my next opportunity to do this. I, I sneak around. I don't budget my money around this activity very well. And well... I'm here to tell you that I'm addicted to detective novels. <laughs> I'm laughing, I'm laughing, but it's on, it's honestly true. It's honestly true. Uh, now I started early on with some of the classics. We're talking Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot, John Le Carré, all of the greats. I've moved on to modern day authors like Brad Thor, Tom Clancy, Clive Cussler, Jack Carr. And you, you may be saying to yourself, hey, Spencer, those aren't really detective novels, but my, my addiction has allowed me to branch out into the strange, into any, any author that has a protagonist that is uh, indefatigable and has a special skill set. Oh, oh, he's a Navy SEAL whose family needs to be revenged. I'll read, I'll read 20 books on that topic right there. Much like, a, much like an alcoholic shouldn't spend any time inside of a liquor store, I find Hudson News in every commercial airport is just an it's an intoxicating swirl of paperback novels that that I really I I knew that I had a problem when I found myself <laughs> reading a Janet Ivanovich novel the the Nick Fox series and I was reading it and I realized that I'm I'm reading a romance novel I'm not even reading something masculine or detective uh, centric. It, it, basically, I'm reading this about this this sleuth, white collar, high class criminal, and it's basically like a love scene. And it was at that moment I was on an airplane. I was like, I've I've got a problem. I've got there's there's something here that I've got. I've got to admit. I've got to just come clean on. Um, I have nice books that I display in the gym and at home, but in my in my closet 
are all of these books that I'm embarrassed that I've that I've read, like these serial paperback, you know, where there's like worn. And and I share this with you. Um, one, I just feel like it's you know the first step to recovery. Um, but two, I, I want you to know that it didn't always start like this. I was thinking back to how it actually started, and it started in all places. Of Sam's Club, Sam's Club, mid nineties, and if you're around the same age as me, you'll remember that Sam's Club didn't just have, um, you know, a box of like like a five pound box of Cheerios that you could buy, but they had in the middle they had uh, VHS that you could purchase, and they also had books, and there was a series of books that were called the Great illustrated classics where they would take uh, really big, large novels of uh, American world fiction and they would um, condense them so they would be abridged and they would put pictures in them. And I remember getting my hands on Sherlock Holmes and getting my hands on on the great illustrated classics of Sherlock Holmes is a moment that I think back to that, that probably started this obsession. And the obsession was on Holmes himself. And still to this day, I mean, every, every, uh, you want to know what I'm a sucker for. If there's a new show that's released a new movie, um, some collected anthology of these short stories or I, I'm a sucker for it, and I think I'm a sucker for this spirited deduction, this art, this art of inquiry, and and almost on a supernatural level, being able to to bring facts together in a way that nobody else could. When I fast forward to today, and what I find myself doing, I. I've realized that there is some parallels to my appreciation for this in what I find myself doing. What I'm about to say, I don't want to discount fitness or reduce that down to anything less than something that's awesome. But I realized that I got into fitness really because I was interested in problem solving much like Holmes. I realized that a lot of the deduction um, that he went through to solve crime is what appealed to me in fitness. And as that became more salient to me, then I've expanded that territory into a much broader landscape of health. And so because it's just me, we won't, we won't uh, wax on for hours We'll make this uh, short and sweet, but I think this concept of of having a broad base of knowledge, of going through a spirited inquiry, and then coming to a hypothesis or a generation point is a sequence that if you are a health coach, is something you should be well-versed in, and it's not to, to wow the reader or to solve a crime but it's to actually transform someone's life. Not only is that an important protocol with the responsibilities that we have, but I think that you can apply it to 
yourself. And so much like 221B Baker Street uh, was a little boutique consulting practice, I think that as health coaches, we can think of ourselves in, in the same in the same realm, or at least it's a it's a romantic notion. So I'm Spencer. This is the Behavior and Performance Research Podcast, where we delve into the art of radical health and athlete design. And so the thing that we're talking about today is really on the nose. It really is talking about design. And before we get into the specifics and the the salient points that I want you to come away with, I want to describe the difference once again between fitness and health. You can think of this, and I'll probably be mixing a lot of metaphors here, but you can think of fitness as, as a map of sorts. It's a map that has uh, a few variables, and, and these variables are things that we can manipulate up and down. We can prioritize one over the other, and when we think of the map of fitness, we're talking about things like exercise choice, the amount of intensity that you apply, and that's just not subjective, but it's also objective, the, the percentage of exertion, um, the percentage of load. Uh, also, there's volume, there's rest, there's the, there's the frequency with which you'll train. And I think for those of us that are uh, enamored with performance, enamored with fitness, we would say, hey, this is all that's on the map. But the first um, cute little tagline I want to give you is that the map is not the territory, the reason that we got into fitness is that we wanted to hopefully have some correlation to a better life. We've reappropriated that over the years. We've told ourselves, well, yeah, if I'm really fit, then surely my life will be better. But it doesn't really work like that. You can have somebody that has low body fat, that has a great 2K row time, and it doesn't demand, it may suggest, but it doesn't demand that the rest of their life is transformed. And so if that's true, and I believe that it is, it means that you have to think of the territory you're dealing with is much broader. Now, Holmes would call this his brain attic. If you want to have uh, some type of clickbait video these days, you just use the word framework or system. Those are real buzzwords, and I find myself like really inclined to click on that stuff too because it's a way of making sense of what's going on. But when you're talking about health, which I think has a much more direct correlation to transformation, it's because you're including more areas to travel to on the map. So you could say that as health coaches, we're map makers. That's good, huh? And if that's true, then the first thing that we have to do, the first thing that we have to transition from being a fitness coach to a health coach is to expand the territory that we're dealing with. We have to broaden the base of one knowledge, but then understand the different places that we can travel to to figure out, hey, for this person, what do they need the most? What's in limited supply? In systems theory, there's a term called a limiting factor, and it means that if you apply leverage to that one particular thing, because all of these causal loops interact with one another, it means that 
if I can manipulate Isaiah's sleep, hey, there's a chance that he'll perform better. If I change the way that Caleb eats and the timing surrounding that, hey, there's a chance that the amount of stress that he feels at the end of the day is significantly lower. And so these things that we think work independently, they actually work in concert with each other. And we've given lots of analogies over the years. When you think about a car, it doesn't matter how great the engine is if you don't have tires. If you think about the human body, hey, it doesn't matter how great your muscles are if you're blind. No, I mean, if you don't like have a heart, right? If you don't have a way to like pump blood. And so this, this concept that I'm talking about, maps, territory, um, they're not these isolated, independent places that you go as you travel there, as you investigate this one part of someone's health, understand that time spent there can actually influence time spent somewhere else. And so the next, uh, the next analogy metaphor I want to give you is from Harry Potter. And in Harry Potter, one of my favorite books is The Prisoner of Azkaban. And in The Prisoner of Azkaban, there's a map. There's a map that Harry is gifted, and it's called the Marauder's Map. And, and if you haven't seen Harry Potter, then I'll explain it just a little bit. But when you open this map, you can see all over Hogwarts, which is the, the school of witchcraft and wizardry. And on that map, you can see the different um, icons, the different special places all throughout the castle. But only until you get closer do you see the detail there. And I bring this up because I think it's good to know all of the places first that you can go to before you deep dive into it. I wish this had been explained to me when I first got into fitness because I just thought, hey, it's program design, it's execution, and maybe like go to sleep or like don't eat shit. And I realized that because that's all I knew, like all I did was deep dive into that one thing. If I had been told this that I'm about to tell you, it would have totally changed the way that I would have had a cursory level understanding of the different aspects. And then as necessary, I'll go deeper and deeper. So what I'm going to do now is lay out what I think of this is the Marauder's Map of Health, the different, the different places that you can travel to. And it's necessary to know that before you do start to inquire and ask questions and get more details. And so they're this. There's four S's and there's two P's. It's got to be a cooler way to say that. But for, for P, one is performance. And you could call this movement. You could call it exercise. Um, I've laid out the different principles therein. Choice, intensity, volume, rest, frequency. The other P I'll call psychology. And, man, I've thought about this a lot, and there's a lot of ways to break down the different principles or the different things within that realm that you want to focus on. But I'll give you three, emotional regulation, mindset, and then self-awareness. And as we go further and further into these different territories, um, one of the things that we'll come back to is that each one of these principles, you could ask it in an open-ended question. You could receive feedback from the person that you're having this dialogue with and you could get a good sense of how salient that aspect is or how vague and clueless they are about it. Besides the two Ps, there's four S's. Uh, we could use a lot of different words. I just think this sounds cute. 
You could say nutrition. I say sustenance because instead of just food, I'm thinking about everything that you have to fuel yourself or sustain yourself with. The principles within that are the amount, the quality, the timing, the planning or prepping, and the tracking. So that means that within each one of these realms, if you're not at least aware of each one of these principles, it's potential that you could be missing something. To wrap this up, there's stress. I think within stress, there's an anticipation that we want to be aware of. There's a toleration and there's a decompression. So basically before, during, and after. How are you handling that? There's sleep. I think you can demarcate this into two simple categories. How are you preparing for it? And then how are you going about trying to increase it? Because for most of us, that's the real issue. And then last but not least, and you wouldn't think this would be in the category, but it is, it's social. Social would be broken down into support, frequency, and even I'll say like community. Now that to me is like you'd have to argue really well to say that there's some other category that if you want to be as healthy as you can, you would need to thrive in. That to me is something that I wish would have been explained 15 years ago when I started this because I think it would have changed the way that I interacted with people. It would have changed the, the questions that I asked. And I think understanding the, the true territory gives us as health coaches a way to start to go about the second step, which is a spirited inquiry. Now, one of the things that I like to tell everybody here and anybody that has uh, a pulse and is willing to listen is that being a coach is not being a know-it-all. And I know it sounds like that based on what I just told you, but your job as a coach is not to solve people's problems. And that's taken me a long time to wrap my head around because there's some things here that as I was describing the different the different places on the map that I do feel like I could consult you on. There are some things about exercise science that I've been studying for a long time. Same thing with psychology. But the point that I want to reiterate is that the coach is not the hero of the story. The coach is the guide. If this is a, a Dungeons and Dragons game that we're playing, you're not the central character. You're, you're as close to a, what is it, NPC? You're as close to an NPC as you can get. Now, you have a very valuable role, but your role doesn't demand that the central character will be successful or, or they'll fail. You're just there to support. That's different than a clinician. That's different than a counselor. That's different than a consultant where you are brought in more or less to heal, save, or fix somebody. And as a coach, that's, that's not, in my opinion, what the role should be. And if that's true, then it means that you can cut yourself some slack. You can also cut the person that you're coaching some slack, meaning that this isn't going to be a very A plus B equals C process. It's going to be messy. It has a human being, not a robot involved. And if all that's true, and I think that it is, 
then it means that you can approach this process of helping someone with patience, with low expectations, and with a desire just to understand who it is that you're dealing with. That's the point here. They're not a, they're not a math equation that you're trying to solve. They're a human being that you're just trying to understand better. And the way that you do that is you ask questions. All of these questions are based on the principles that I just mentioned. Now, there's some things that as I've done this for years and years, that based on the answer tells me, you know what, they're probably good there. And I'll give you an example. Hey, Jennifer, tell me, uh, tell me about protein in your diet, which is back to the amount question under sustenance. Hey, tell me about protein in your diet. If Jennifer says, well, I eat 22 grams of protein that I weigh out with a, a scale that I keep in my back pocket and I eat four times a day, I'm probably thinking that's not her limiting factor. I'm probably thinking, hey, she's got good clarity around that. If I ask Jennifer, hey, how much protein do you eat in a day? She says, remind me again what protein is. I know X probably marks the spot there. I probably know that's a good place for us to further uh, ask questions. It's a good source to, to pump the brakes and go deeper and deeper with. And why is that? Well, because where there's the greatest limitation is probably the greatest leverage. You can do that across the board here. And, and what I want to remind you with is that you're not sitting somebody down and asking them, uh, what is this, you know, 33 questions uh, upon your first introduction, but you're just starting somewhere. And for most of us, it's probably starting with performance. From there, hey, maybe, maybe you get like a few questions around lifestyle just to get an understanding of where they are. This has a formal term, and it's called assessment. It's called gathering information. Another way to go about this is to actually test people. Instead of having subjective answers that can sometimes hit or miss or not give you total clarity, hey, sometimes it's actually putting somebody on an echo bike or getting them on the in-body scan. It's the same process under this umbrella of spirited inquiry where you're just trying to get a beat on who this person is. I like to tell the clients that we work with that this is an iterative process. That's a fancy word of saying that every time we go around the wheel, I get deeper and deeper and deeper, more information, more understanding. But the thing that I want to leave you with there before we move on is that it's action first and then understanding. I think for those of us that don't want to mess up, for those of us that, that have a fear of not being good enough at this, which is you know basically everybody, it's hard to make steps knowing that it's not going to be perfect. But the next process of this is really just guessing. And I, I intentionally use the word guess because it's not always possible to be foolproof. Back to Holmes. When you think of the study in Scarlet, when you think of the scandal in Bohemia, he was guessing at the end. He had gathered so much information, and he had gone through this process of observation so many times that he felt that by the time that he made a guess, it was probably going to be a pretty good one. I think you can go through the same process of how to generate 
hypothesis, how to make the, the best first steps for your client by going through this little two-step process to, to understand the territory, to understand all of the things that do influence one another, all of the spaces that you could travel to within this realm of health. Two, yeah, you got to ask questions. It's going to take longer than probably either one of you want it to be. And it's a process that you'll have to, if you have the luxury of working with someone long time, continually ask. Because here's the interesting part of working with humans is that it's going to change. All of the answers that you thought were static and concrete and salient are going to change. We've talked about this before, but you can take somebody that's married and has zero kids and then six months after having a kid, the answers to every one of these could be potentially different. And so I hate the word mindful. I think it's overused. I think it sometimes doesn't mean jack shit, but just like, you know, listening to your mouth chew food. But I think a better word is to pay attention, to be observant. That's what Holmes was doing back in the day, right? He asked Watson, how many steps does it take to go from the street up to our flat? And Watson was like, what do you mean? And Holmes was like, well, you see, but I observe. It's 17. I never forgot that. It's like the first story I read. So, hey, as we wrap it up, this thing that I'm talking about, systems, the map, territory, it is a part of our certification. We're sold out right now. When this video um, is released, when this podcast is out, we'll already be in the thick of, of digging into this thing that we're talking about within the context of, of a few different modules. And those include purpose, identity, systems like we've talked about today, um, action research, which is a, just a really beautiful way. It's a real thing. Look it up a really beautiful way to systematically test your hypothesis and step-by-step step understand like, hey, how do I break these actions, which each one of these things can be broken down into, and test it and then figure out if it worked and then move on to the next thing. We have uh, some information and some time spent on change psychology, and that's the human aspect of what I just talked about. Hey, it's messy. There's ambivalence. There's resistance. How do you deal with that? And then the last part is guidance, and guidance is, is I think, what I'm the most passionate about, and that is, man, how, how to walk alongside somebody when it's not straightforward when it's not easy when there are different seasons of life when we're transitioning with the ultimate goal that we transform this person we don't just make them fit but we actually radically change the way that they navigate the world and therefore change their ability to thrive across these different dimensions of the map i saw a quote the other day and i'll leave it with you that transformed people transform people. So this podcast, you know, it'll probably take lots of diversions. And, you know, when we have another person on here, we're, we're pretty much handcuffed to, you know, what they want to talk about and how they want to talk about it. But the whole point 
of this podcast is not to entertain you, even though I try as hard as I can, but it's to give you the information and the tools and the context that I wish I would have had when I first started coaching. To Holmes. <laughs>